0: Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. If you're looking to install some new windows or new doors, a great place to start with Pella is their showroom. Really cool, and it really helps to sometimes actually see the windows, see the door open and close them to get a better feel for exactly what you're going to be installing into your home. The showrooms are really, really a good place to start. they got showrooms in Omaha and in Lincoln, so go check them out. Or you can check Pella out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my pals at Runza. Love it when I get these tweets. My guy Cody, I think I played uh, youth basketball with Cody. Love it. Uh, He tweeted at me and said, Nick, hit up the Runza super secret menu today. Had pickles put on my Runza. Who'd have thought? Thanks, Nick. Love it, Cody. And all of you need to do what Cody did and take advantage of this super secret menu that Runza has let in uh, all of uh, my listeners in on. Where you can put anything within reason on a Runza sandwich. If you want ranch, go for it. You want pepper jack cheese put on your your cheese Runza? Go for it. You want pickles like Cody? Go for it. Every Runza starts as an original Runza sandwich. You can add anything in the kitchen within reason onto your Runza sandwich. Delicious. Fantastic. Get to Runza and try one today. Runza makes it all better. Okay, uh, on uh, tap today for the pod, been a lot of news in the world of Creighton basketball over, I guess, really the past few months, but in particular the last week to, to 10 days. Creighton has been really active on the recruiting trail after kind of being quiet for a while. Creighton landed two Four-star recruits in Arthur Kaluma and Trey Alexander pushing Creighton's recruiting class up to number five in the 2020 rankings. Fifth-ranked recruiting class for Creighton. It's just, it's amazing. Creighton has a higher recruiting class than, like, Kentucky does. It's just, it's bananas, right? So there's certainly lots to talk about there. There. And with all the news and events of the past few months surrounding Creighton basketball, new assistant coaching hires, all the stuff going on with Greg McDermott, all these highly tattered recruits, bunch of stuff uh, to dive into. And I wanted to get my guy, John Neatawa, uh, Creighton beat reporter for the Omaha World Herald on. Certainly tied into the program. Love his insight. Love his basketball thoughts, his basketball mind. This was a great chat with lots to cover. I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy it. So let's get to it. Here is our little uh, Creighton basketball State of the Union. With Creighton Beat Writer, the Omaha World Herald, John Niatawa, Enjoy. All right, on the line now, John Niatawa, Creighton Beat Writer, Omaha World Herald. John, how is, uh, it's officially June, is is summer is upon us. How are things? How's your summer going so far?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to drop some weight, man. Now that I've kind of uh, hit this summer. Shirt taking off? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I got yeah. I got the haircut as well, and I'm just like... Uh, it, things aren't looking good in the mirror, so I need to... <laughs> I got work to do. You,
0: so got any, you got any tips for me? Not really. I mean, my... See, the problem is, like, there's things like today, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to work out today. Even though I've been kind of been battling a cold because my daughter got a cold and it just has run through the house. But I don't know if you're... How old is your son? He's just one. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, we're almost like we... I mean, Mac is... I guess eleven months today. Wow! So we almost have the exact same uh, age. Oh, he's a little
1: bit older. He's like sixteen months. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is, is that am I supposed to be specific? John, I mean, I you really just committed
0: how- the biggest sin of when someone asks you how old is your child. When do we stop going months? Do you go past two? It's a good question. I don't know. I mean, well, I mean I a big, it was one. Well, there's a big difference though between a like tw- one, twelve months, and sixteen months compared to like. My eleven-month-old, you know what I mean, right? That's like, true. there's a big difference. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So I got okay. confused. Well, I, I thought we had I common we, ground.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't think I don't think I should do it just yet. I okay. should not made that jump. Yeah. Um, I, maybe I, two, maybe age
0: two. Okay. Yeah, we'll go. But we'll we'll, we'll, we'll declare that once you're past two, you just go years, no more months. But <laughs> well, I, I, had, I had one of those nights last night. For whatever reason, my my. 11 month old just was like, no, nope, I don't want to go to bed. I'm just going to be wide awake. And luckily I had Luca and, in, and in inside the NBA mm-hmm. for a little bit, but your boy was up till like two three o'clock in the morning. So like, but that's the thing. It's like, you have this desire to work out, but then, you know, you are dead tired. And so you just don't work. out. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean?
1: <laughs> it's so easy to, to work those excuses out. And here's the thing. When you've got other priorities, you know, 10 years ago, uh, everything was different.
0: Yes, now, it was. I know what you're saying. I mean, let's... Family yeah, family yeah. matters. So. Family matters. Urkel and Winslow. You know what I'm saying? Too many Urkels okay. on your team. That's why you're Winslow. Shuts out to... You. That was one of your... That was one of your points to ponder as you d- departed Chicken Ick one time. You you dropped a yeah. Kanye line to us, which I, I think it went right over shick's head, but I appreciated it. <laughs>
1: Honestly, it was one of those things when I when I heard him drop that in one of the songs. I don't remember how what album that was on, but like I remember it and I was thinking, how can I use this in in a, in life ever? You I know? know? It's so good. I mean too many oracles on their team, that's why you're Winslow. And then you guys started you guys had a show going and we talked about worked. the most random stuff on
0: earth. And yes. I, it worked. It worked. It, worked it absolutely worked. So I wanted to bring you on because I I don't know if you want to call this like a Creighton State of the Union chat, but like, y- you know what this is like with what we're about to get into is this is like when you haven't you haven't seen someone since like high school or something like that. And and they, they you run into them. And they're like, hey, man, what's new? And you're like, what do you mean since 2004? Like what's new since 2004? Like, yeah. I don't even know. Like, what do you mean? Everything's new. Like, I actually feel like
1: I've been having a lot of those types of conversations now that, you know, now that everyone's kind of yeah, getting vaccinated, back, the right. world's getting back to somewhat of a sense of normalcy. Right. And everyone's like, hey, what's new with you? Well, I, was, I, I had a kid. Right. You know, like a year and a half ago, but I haven't seen you in that long. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. I, but that's where I it, it where is. But, yeah. you know, for like, if, you, if we just take a snapshot of the last two or three months of Creighton basketball, and I go, hey, what's new? It's like, I mean, everything. Like, literally everything is new. I mean... It's been, uh, let me, I I wrote down a handful of things. Let me just kind of, just kind of like to paint the picture. Because it's been a pretty, pretty big roller coaster for the last three-ish months. All culminating in a pretty amazing week over the last week for Creighton on the recruiting trail. So, a timeline here just kind of think about. You have the, the Greg McDermott comments in the locker room using the term plantation in late February. Creighton subsequently loses their top recruit, Ty Ty Washington, which is, I mean, it's been quoted. It was kind of directly tied to that. Creighton then goes on to break a barrier that has never been done in its, in its basketball program history and go to the Sweet 16. But then the entire starting five is leaving. Uh, we'll get into more of that in a second. Then Greg McDermott loses his top two assistants. Oh, and by the way, almost lost his third assistant in Al Hus. Uh, it was really quiet for a little bit right after the season during kind of the rush of the transfer market the only player that Creighton had landed was a white division two transfer which obviously with the elephant in the room you're going oh boy what's going on here and Greg McDermott then hires two new assistant coaches Ryan Miller Jalen Courtney Williams then all of a sudden in a flurry the sky was falling but then in a flurry they land two four-star top 60 recruits and Kaluma and Trey Alexander. They get this six, nine, uh, Keyshawn Fizel from McNeese state. And now wing bang boom as it sits today on June 3rd Creighton. Yes. Creighton has the fifth ranked recruiting class on 24, seven sports. I mean, I don't even like, did I miss anything? Uh, I think you got it all, man.
1: I don't know. I feel like we need to take a deep
0: breath. I know though. That's right. I don't even, I sat down to like, okay, how do I want to get into this? Like, I don't even know where to be. I feel like we have a thousand piece puzzle and you're like you dumped it on the table and you're like, okay. Okay, let's find two clouds. Let's just find cloud things that look like corners. clouds. Yeah, let's When's go the Find In the, the corners. corners. Get that edge. I, I think uh,
1: I, yeah, I, mean, where do you want to
0: start? What what jumps out at you? Do we want to go like sequentially or is there do you want to go with like reese what's happened recently? What jumps out at you?
1: Well, I just thought that the general sort of narrative Cause I got, I picked up on this a little bit from fans who were as soon as the season ended and you kind of got to celebrate that moment um, that Creighton has obviously been pushing for, for so long. Um, but then it was like a total sort of mood change because fans realized, okay, well players are leaving, turning pro, a couple coaches left. Like, what is going to happen now? And it's just like that sense of uncertainty for a couple weeks and, um i tried to tell people i was if anyone spoke with me i was like look there are a ton of players available right you know whether it's international recruits or decommitted 2021 prospects or transfers creighton's not going to have a problem finding players now did i expect it to you know succeed at the level that it has from a recruiting standpoint probably not I can't admit that but I I didn't think that filling the roster would be a problem I thought I'm actually kind of more curious and this is probably a conversation for later but just sort of how the team sort of gels and oh sure um, grows together over the summer I thought that was kind of the big off-season storyline but I didn't think they'd have a problem finding players and as it turns out they haven't but the process of that yeah, I mean, it's been a roller coaster for sure if you've been following on a daily basis. Oh, so man. I can totally I totally empathize with fans who are just sort of like ready to go hide in the corner for a little bit, like unsure of what the team was going to look like. And then now uh, they're out and everybody's celebrating.
0: Yeah, I think, I think we also need to preface everything like just because Creighton landed this amazing recruiting class does not mean that they're necessarily going to have a bunch of success next year. I mean, we'll get into that later on. Who knows? But I think you kind of... You have to you have to acknowledge what is success in the moment, and I just think when you take into consideration, I mean, your Twitter mentions are probably a lot like mine or emails a lot like mine. The sky was falling for a lot of Creighton fans. Like, people thought, given what had happened in the locker room with Greg McDermott, then what was a perceived mass exodus with the starting five all not coming back, losing to assistant coaches— the, there was a lot of people that were questioning, like, is this the end? Like, is it over for the Greg McDermott era? And my biggest question was, like, I totally disagreed with that, but my question was, can he still recruit? Like, can this guy – I totally agree with you. There were going to be players available, but could he get them given what was the the kind of the the ammo and, used against him on the recruiting trail? And so for me, I think landing Kaluma – an African-American top 50 player landing Trey Alexander, African-American top 70 player at Oklahoma. Like, I guess for me, like this, this, and then also being able to hire Jalen Courtney Williams, a young black coach, like, like, those things, if we're just going to address the elephant in the room, like those were big things for me that I was I was like, this, these are legitimate questions. I have no questions about Greg McDermott, the coach, the person, if people are willing to give this guy a shot. But was that going to be able to happen? I, I was concerned. And so I think a lot of my concerns have been alleviated, at least in the short term, with what he's been able to do recruiting and hiring wise.
1: Yeah, I would say short term. I agree with you i I don't know because I think any individual that if, based on what we've heard, you know the people that we've talked, to, I mean you know Greg McDermott really well, and I've talked to a lot of his former players who know him well, and obviously people in the program who know him well, and like what he said in the opinion of those who know him the best doesn't necessarily reflect how he feels. Sure. Um, he, you, it was a poor choice of words, obviously, comparing his program to a plantation, but that's not what is in his heart. And so I think he's had the opportunity to do a lot of self-reflection. He's probably tr- tried his best to convey that thought, that, uh, those, that that moment doesn't define who he is, to recruits, to prospective coaches, uh, to his current players and I guess a lot of people have are you know buying in and they believe right. in that and I think that you know he, he does have a pretty strong track record of you know being active in the community and and trying to make an impact and a positive impact on people's lives so I think people have looked at looked at that and obviously responded favorably so i but it's kind of like one of those stories though, Nick that it doesn't it doesn't just
0: totally ever, agree you know, i want to i want yeah. to clear that up i'm not insinuating that like well that situation's now done not at all like this right. is this is going to be a process and i guess what i i didn't maybe word it right like the, the there are steps in this process and one of the steps is what we just kind of laid out the ability to recruit and sell african-american coaches or athletes on him Yeah, because you're kind
1: of fighting against the perception because the
0: perception,
1: from a national perspective at least, is different than what you're trying to convey of who you are because obviously we saw the coverage and the reaction from whether it was talking heads on ESPN or social media sort of voices, people kind of popping into the story, saying something and then leaving not necessarily having the full context of the situation, well, they, that leaves an impact, you know, Absolutely. Jalen Rose says something that leaves an impact, even though Jalen Rose, isn't really invested in the, the storyline, you know? So, yeah. and then it filters across the college basketball landscape from a recruiting perspective. So yeah, you're ha- like, obviously um, it shows that there are uh, people, recruits, parents of recruits, um, coaches, that 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 are willing to sort of, you know, listen. I guess, yeah. And, and hear right. the you story wh- where right. Greg McDermott's coming from, and not just uh, you know assume that that everything that's being said from the outside is accurate. So right. It, right. I, I agree with you. It is it is a big first step.
0: Yes, yes. It's far from. I, don't, I hate to even call it over. That's that almost like minimizes the comments and their impact. Like, I don't even want to, you know, it's like, well, that's over. Like, it's like a storm that passes. Like, this is a <laughs> right. storm that is never really going to – you hope it passes one day. But, like, you know, just because Greg McDermott lands a 6'9 forward doesn't mean, like, all is healed with that whole situation. I think you understand well, and what I'm I
1: saying. I thought – I felt like what you and Jalen, the new Creighton coach and Courtney, Courtney Williams talked about on your podcast a month ago – was really valuable because it was, you know, we, Greg McDermott, obviously he's, what he said was wrong and it was hurtful, but, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the only, um, that that's maybe it's the first thing you think about when you hear the name, but that, that that doesn't have to be where you start and stop. Like let's use this opportunity to grow as a community, as a, city yep. um and and try to have some tough conversations and so i think that, that that type of thing is happening within the program or has happened within the program and then hopefully um those who come across greg or he who he interacts with um will be impacted in a positive manner because of it so i like from a hmm, like a big picture standpoint I'm, I'm like i i do hope that that we do continually talk about not just Greg McDermott's growth, but the growth around, uh, uh, around the the players around him and and the program in general. Um, But I know that it's a it can be a little bit divisive if you just sort of like dip your toe in and (laughs) try to have a conversation, you know, all of a sudden if you tweet something about Greg McDermott, like, There's going to be a little bit of an army of people who already have their minds made up, and that's the way that the world works these days. But um, it is, I mean, if you're a Creighton fan, I think it's encouraging that um, there are recruits and coaches out there who have had an open mind and have been willing to listen to Greg McDermott and and hear his heart on, on that issue and what he has planned for them
0: program going forward right I mean it's just it takes time I think Mike Greenberg always has the comment of like uh, who you are after the comma where it's you know like John Niatawa comma Creighton beat recorder for the Omaha World Herald like right now at least in the moment for some people it's Greg McDermott comma and then it's the it, what happened in the locker room at Xavier like and yeah. it's and listen he earned that because he made the mistake right but that, but like I said, that just because that's what it is today doesn't mean that that's what the rest of the paragraph has to be, or what it even has to be forever. But it, it's it's nevertheless, it is there for a lot of people, and I guess just for me, you know, the this is this is a process, and there were some significant steps taken, at least as I see it, to to keep Orion Nemhard in the class, you know, uh, yeah, you, to, you know, to to then go out and and, and land Trey Alexander and Arthur Kaluma. And hire Jalen Courtney Williams. These are significant things that I think go a long ways in the process of, of you know, I, I don't even know what the process it Just the process of of it growing moving improving forward. and moving yeah. forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and,
1: I, and I don't even think it's just black players, Nick, too. Because, I mean, I'm sure there were – I know there were players – uh, of all races and colors that were in the moment when Greg McDermott said what he said, that were disturbed by it, you know? Sure. So I think it, it's, it obviously we, we can, we'll focus on that. And I, love. I have not talked to any of the, uh, the new recruits about the, this topic because right. it just doesn't see, it seems like something that you would ro- want to really sit down and kind of like dig into it. Like I said, you don't want to, it doesn't need to be, uh, uh, like if you're towing this in the pool type of situation, like it, you want to get really in depth with it because sure. that's the only way that you're going to actually move the conversation forward. But I am curious to hear what they say yeah, and what their thoughts are on yeah. it. But obviously if they've committed and signed, uh, they're on board. So, uh, I, know. It, I Great fans it, have to feel pretty good.
0: The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. And I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go onto Pella's website right now, you look at it. And how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors. for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Isn't it funny how, as I'm like saying this out loud like how stupid I am and that like I'm only equating this to black players like they would be the only ones that are offended by it like even even in the, my two interviews I interviewed Jalen Courtney Williams and Ryan Miller I asked Jalen Courtney Williams about it but I didn't ask Ryan Miller about it like shame on me yeah you know what I mean like that's kind of ridiculous on my part as I'm kind of saying this out loud here right um
1: I, yeah you know I, like, but I think
0: I think that one of the topics that I've
1: sort of it's kind of gone in my, I I've thought about it in my head a little bit with this. Um, is if, if you're a black player or a black coach and you're associated with Creighton, you're immediately going to be looked at it from whether it's your peers or your family members, your friends, and, and they're going to be asking you, okay, so how do you feel about this? Yes, And maybe as a white player or a coach, you don't necessarily get that question as quickly. Yeah, so I don't right. know if you're really off base. Maybe. I think it's just a natural sort of, Move that we yeah. all make of like, sure. well, th- you're supposed to be offended by this, right? Or how do you feel? I know, you know it's a weird thing, but as I'm talking yeah. to you
0: and saying it out loud, I'm like, wait a minute, what am I? Am I processing this right? Like, I don't even know. I, I, I mean, it's just a yeah, it's a very layered, nuanced thing. That, like you said, the way you put it, like if you just dip your toe into it, that's just like you can't do that. Almost like it doesn't. It's, it's, it's not doing anything justice. You're not going to get anything of substance from doing that. So, so, I I don't know, I, but I I do think I did kind of want to start the conversation there because I think that was the biggest thing with this, this over the last three months, like what was going to happen with this, right? Like, was he going to keep his job? Okay. If he is, well, then what's going to happen with the roster and all those things. And I think a lot of it, again, in the short term has kind of been answered. I do, uh, I I do want to, I, I don't know what you thought. I thought the narrative a little bit around, other than Christian Bishop leaving, that was the only player in the starting five that has transferred or left the program or decided to not come back that I was surprised by it. I never expected Jefferson or Mahoney to come back. I didn't expect Zagorowski or Mitch Ballok to come back. So I think, I think it was kind of unfortunate how that kind of all lined up because it, it was just kind of, it was it was labeled like everybody's running away from Greg McDermott like yeah i think even if what let's say the the locker room comments never happened i still think all these guys don't come back
1: I except think bishop you're right on that yeah, yeah with the starters yes um
0: except for bishop like... i think bishop maybe comes back but i'm I, th- I think maybe the comments made it easier for bishop to kind of go well maybe i need to look somewhere else but at the same time I don't know, when you really iron out Bishop's reasoning, it makes more sense the more you think about
1: it. Right. I mean, I, I always sensed this is just sort of like happened. Lucky enough to be around the program, to see these guys practice, interact with them on a semi-daily basis, different this year, obviously, because of the pandemic. But I did always get the sense that Christian was not fully comfortable with his role because right. he felt like he had more to show. And while he did the five, undersized five, in Creighton's offense, like, he really excelled there. In his mind, it was like, this isn't the best way to market my game for the next level. Like, I need to do a few more different things to showcase what I'm capable of. I always got that sense. But I thought, because they were winning and they had so much success, that, you know, he'd be able to kind of, like, suppress that a little bit. But, um, you know, so that's why I'm like, well – Maybe maybe in a vacuum had the comments not happened, perhaps he does still jump and and go. And then when you but here's the other thing, Nick, this is maybe a little bit off topic, but but the idea of now Creighton Granite has elevated its profile, it's standing. We know this, but like a player like Christian Bishop enters the transfer portal and and his options. You know, or Kansas, North Carolina, Texas. It's kind of hard if you're, if you know that you're only going to play college ball for uh, four or five years and you have the option to play at one of those schools. Like, Davion Mintz left Creighton and went to Kentucky. I right. mean, like, he, he couldn't have done that out of high school. Christian Bishop couldn't have played it, had the option to play at Kansas or North Carolina or Texas on scholarship out of high school. So, And in that sense, it's like because I've seen this across college sports, a lot of, you know, maybe uh, mid mid tier or uh, borderline top 25 teams that have go to guys on their roster or players that maybe they're the number two option and they're jumping to places like Kansas, Kentucky, Gonzaga. And you're like, wait a second, you know, right. why, Why would you leave the featured role? to go to a program like that, but then you think about what that program does, the pros that it's produced, the fan support, the pageantry that goes with oh, it, no. you know, like, it's pretty cool to say that you played at Texas or to say you played at Kentucky, um, and while it's also cool to say you played at Creighton and there's something about being committed to your team and the program, it's like, its I can understand the reasoning of wanting to try something new and experience college basketball from a a different point of view because it's obviously I mean you played at Kansas you know
0: there's a difference
1: between Kansas and Creighton as great as Creighton is there's a
0: difference but here's you know what's amazing though is you kind of lead me directly into to the significance of what has happened with this class though like Creighton has a better recruiting class than Kentucky and and Kansas like this you know so it's just and for me like I think sometimes you like I've made this comment before. I made this comment after Creighton made the Sweet Sixteen, where it's like you can take the kid out of the valley, but you can't take the valley out of the kid. The Missouri Valley Conference, that is. And like, I was, I was oftentimes the guy that would host recruits when they came on visits. And I vividly remember when I would, you know, I, there was a kid named Clinton Mann that was uh, on a visit, and he was choosing between, you know, and there was another kid guy. He went to, he ended up going to Florida, but I remember I was taking him bowling, and I was like, we're in my car, and I'm like, okay, so who, you know, what other schools are you considering? And he goes, well, Florida offered me last week. And I'm like, like back-to-back national champs, Florida. And he's like, yeah. And I wanted to like flip a UE on Dodd Street. Be like, man, you're not coming here. Like, you know, g- give me, give me a break. Same thing even with like, even so, if someone had this Clinton man, he ended up going to Iowa state. I'm like, oh, you got an Iowa state offer. You're not coming here. Like I, I remember where if another kid had just one power five offer, it was like, you're not, we're not winning that battle. And so to fast forward it now that Creighton has a top 5 recruiting class in the country I guess I'm just I'm I, I'm jaw dropped like just jaw dropped to see that Creighton has just the, the profile and the and how and, and where how the program has grown to where they have a top 5 recruiting class just incredible to me
1: Mhm Honestly we're really not I will say Craig has trended in the right direction yeah, from a right. recruiting standpoint. Yeah. And obviously we know the profile of the program has risen, but it, we're really only a couple years removed or three years removed from Craig and kind of being the runner up <laughs> for top tier guys or being in on a guy. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, well, he's going to even go to a, a higher level program. So it, it does feel that all, all at once, the dam broke in a way where, like, a, a lot of recruits are saying yes when previously two years ago they were saying, eh, "Thank you, but I'm gonna go to Kansas." Right. I think isn't. I mean, the difference is what Creighton's done on the court. I think right. Like Creighton has proven that um, everything that it's sold to these guys from a recruiting standpoint is possible, be uh, by winning the big championship in 2020 by making a Sweet 16. You, you, everything you they're and, selling, you know, the, the offense is fun and, and we've got a good culture and we win. Like Now they have that and we win piece uh, stamped with uh, obvious sort of examples which maybe they previously hadn't had or at least not as consistently as they did in, in a two-year span.
0: Right. but but Because I totally agree with you, but also I and, and I think it maybe takes a while for this to take hold, I can't express how much conference affiliation matters. Like, the, so the, the success on the court, absolutely. Like, you, it, there's a lot of, just because you're a member of the, you know, the SEC or the ACC doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to land, get a top five recruiting class, but it makes a big difference. And so it's a perfect storm of a rise in profile in conference affiliation, combined with what you're talking about, the success on the court and the style on the court being appealing, and then having having success stories. Like, recruiting is is just like sales. You want to be able to say, hey, look at Tysha Alexander. He's on the Phoenix Suns. Hey, look at Kyrie Thomas. He got drafted. He's now with the Rockets. Look at Justin Patton. He was, you know, a top 15 or 16 pick. Look at Doug. He's in the pros. You know, like, those types of things matter in recruiting, and all of a sudden – you know, like you said, the dam broke, like all this stuff's been kind of building up, building up, building up to where I'm just, it's its all kind of come together at the, at the right time. And it's just amazing to see it all come together at the right time.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's one thing to have sort of the pieces in place and, okay, we have an opportunity here to capitalize, but then to do it, um, obviously, you got to commend the coaching staff for, staff for that because there's been a lot of programs who maybe have been on a precipice, of taking that next step, maybe from a recruiting standpoint after a big year or a couple of big years. Um, like when you think about Craig, you just laid it out the guys they have in the pros. Like when have they had, when has this program had so many active NBA Man. players kind of going at it night after night. And then you couple that with the success, the unprecedented success they've had over the last few years. Like this was a really sort of important window that the Jays uh, were stepping into that they need to take advantage of on the recruiting trail and to you know, to the credit they did. And so, well, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it, I'm sure for you, for a lot of Creighton fans, for me too, like it's weird to type that in top five recruiting class.
0: It's, it's what Creighton surreal
1: brought in, but it's also like when you kind of unpack it, you're like, well, yeah, it, it, Creighton was trending here and, and it was really in a good position to, to, to secure this, this type of, these types of recruits. But again, it, they hadn't done it before, so right. the fact that they did is like okay. Well, well, they're here now. I will say two things though that that may have helped Creighton assemble, you know, assemble this group. Uh, particularly the last two guys with Arthur Kaluma and Trey Alexander playing time. No,
0: no, the question. fact
1: that the fact that Creighton has so many—it's
0: wide un- open. Let's be honest, it's yeah. wide open, man.
1: Right, undefined roles. I mean, it, anybody coming into the program as an opportunity to start or compete for a spot in the rotation. And so those two guys, when they decommitted from their programs, Trey Alexander was an Auburn signee. Arthur Kaluma was a UNLV signee. Like a lot of rosters across the country were pretty full because right. you mentioned the transfer market and how active teams were and how many programs loaded up and got some key pieces well, all of a sudden, some of the big-name programs or some of the teams that play at the upper echelon of college basketball in a league like the Big East, as you said, conference affiliation, that matters from an exposure standpoint. Well, they're filled. And so now Creighton has a ton of opportunity to advertise and be like, hey, look at what we've done, look at what we can do, and, and you get an opportunity to step in and play right away. So I think that helped. And the other thing, too, which is odd to say because – I just talked about this the other day about like Creighton not being able to host guys on campus for official visits and sell its culture, you know, uh, to get people into the facilities and kind of walk around and meet people. You know, obviously Creighton, the Creighton community is really special. And, and it, it matters to the players and their families and it could have a really incredible impact just having players on campus. But um Others, other programs, a lot they, like they have some bells and whistles to sell. Maybe that Creighton doesn't, which can be appealing to, to certain players. And it was, it almost kind of like leveled the playing ground of like now, now we have to have conversations on Zoom and we have to talk sure. about, you know, what we see uh, in you as a player and who we are as people and communicate our vision to you of what we think you can become. And I, I feel like I've always felt like Creighton's coaching staff. Um, does a really good job of of, of teaching, you yeah. know, and part right. of teaching Relay, relaying
0: knowing, their message clearly.
1: Exactly. Knowing how to connect and communicate with players and help them grow. And I think that they've, I think that in a weird way, a Zoom recruiting world actually helped Creighton because um, the coaches, well, they, you commend them for finding some guys who would be willing to buy into that. You know, I think about Ryan Nemhard when I talked to him uh, over the summer after he committed to Creighton, one of the first things he said was just how excited he was once he started watching some Creighton film. Yes. And seeing like, okay, this is where I could fit in and this is why my skill set fits in their offense. It's like, it feels like a lot of these players, they, Creighton found some guys that are just basketball junkies. Right. And they they know their game. They know what they could be and they see how they fit in and Creighton's coaches staff did a good job of sort of relaying what they think they could be. So I just feel like um, all those conversations maybe Creighton had a little bit of an edge because they are so good at right. teaching and, yeah, and like you said relaying info.
0: Yeah, because the only the only other the only thing a counter to that would be the perception around Nebraska and Omaha. And people not being able to see it and then not being able to get past. Like, am I really going to, am I going to go be in a cornfield? Like, what is this? The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. Everybody that knows my athletic background, you know, as a quarterback in high school. But, you know, I believe in establishing the run game. And even more than that, I believe in establishing the Runza game. That's an original Runza cheeseburger. Some onion rings, double dipped in a homemade batter. Little bit of a pop to top it off. You know, in football, you establish a run. But at lunch, you establish the Runza. It's just that simple. So get out to Runza today and establish the Runza game or check out the delicious salads. You got the chicken bacon ranch salad, sweet berry chicken salad, and my personal favorite, the Southwest chicken salad. You got to get out to Runza, establish a Runza game, or get a salad. Either way, you are going to leave satisfied. Runza makes it all better. If you, if you remove that, like... Let's be honest. If you just if you take Creighton in a Zoom call, it's impressive. Hey, top ten attendance. Hey, national TV every game. Hey, look at all these guys in the pros. Hey, look at these offensive numbers. Hey, you you like threes? Look at this. Hey, l- watch this film. Pretty fun to watch, right? Like, and then Greg McDermott is a, is really good at succinctly delivering a. A plan and a vision, and yeah. so like all that stuff. You're right. Like when you remove the pageantry of like of of maybe some other stuff that you would see on a campus or on a visit, that kind of doesn't matter when it comes right down to your basketball decision. Creighton's Creighton is a pretty appealing, uh, has a lot of appealing things to it.
1: I, I mean, I just think of a, you know think about Marcus Zagorowski, who was like one of those guys who. All he wanted to do was get in the gym and work, and and one of the reasons why he chose Creighton is just because one, he could do that there. But they were it was so I had focus on my basketball, and that was you know that's, that's what I come right. here to do. Right. primer goal number one, and these guys are all locked in and helping me sort of achieve what I want to achieve from a basketball standpoint. The, the system fits well, the development fits well with what I do, and I, I just feel like yeah. Creighton's done a really good job over the last three, four years, finding players that have that same mentality, that know that, yeah, they've got some work to do. They've got to grind a little bit, but they're willing to do it, and they think that the coaching staff can help them. And so I think there's a lot of guys in this class that, uh, while they are high, higher rated and, and they've had more, maybe more success than some of Creighton's recruits in the past, on a national level, they're it's just a more prestigious class. It's obviously ranked really wow. high. But I think their, make, their makeup, it seems, is very similar to some of the, you know, f- former stars of, of Creighton basketball over the last five, six years that have been willing to put in the work and play team ball um, and kind of buy into what Creighton's selling.
0: Right. And not only from an intangible standpoint, also from a tangible one. You know, like you look at like, OK, John christopholis he's a shooter. He's. I mean, he would probably fill that Mitch type of role. Okay, you know, a guy like uh, Arthur Kaluma, a versatile three-four, where you can see him kind of doing. He's kind of a bigger, longer, more athletic Denzel, like that can do. You know, like you you see, they're fitting profiles too really well. Is there any you know? So uh, with, with this five-man class, is there is there one guy that intrigues you the most? Like. And I I get like, we're going off of like YouTube highlights and stuff, you know, (laughs) know. so you're like, well, this guy looks like the greatest player I've ever seen in my life, you know, but like, uh, but there is something to like certain, like Arthur Kaluma's highlights. You're like, that's pretty good. That's pretty athletic. That's pretty, that's, that's, that's pretty explosive at the rim. That's a six, nine frame handling it. Like there are some, some things that you can't take away from highlights. I mean, is there, is there one guy that jumps out at you?
1: Yeah, because like Arthur Kaluma doing some stuff with the ball that I'm like, I didn't know six eight guys did that. I but again, I don't watch a ton of highlight films of high school prospects. So right. when I saw some of those highlights, like you mentioned, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, he, whoa, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned longer than kind of like I was thinking Kyrie almost. Yeah, you know, like right. Um, but so Kaluma is impressed. They're all really impressive. They right? are they like they, they, they seem to be, they have some different skill sets, but generally the theme with Creighton, when they try to recruit guys, Craig McDermott said this, that they value skill over any, anything and everything. And then once, if you can add some athleticism and some length and uh, maybe some hops, then they, then that's even better, but you got to be able to dribble it, pass it, shoot it. And it feels like all these guys can do that. Um, Mason, have you seen some of Mason Miller's dunks?
0: Yeah, Mason. Mason's a pretty good explosive finisher at the rim. Left-handed, <laughs> you know, both hands. Like it's he—he's intriguing. Uh,
1: I like that. Um, I, I've watched the most of Ryan Nemhard.
0: Yeah, I, I like Ryan a lot. I think Ryan's going to be a really, really. Trey. I mean, Trey Alexander is going to fill They need a wing that can score, and I think so. I think Trey's going to. I, I think Trey's going to hit the ground running Trey Alexander, the guy, the, the, the kid from out Oklahoma, but I, I just, I think Nemhard strikes me as, you know, one of the, the classic cerebral Zegarowski type of like smart, winner, tough, skilled point guard, ball handler.
1: I, I, I like that he's played with a lot of talented players at Montverde Academy in Florida and, and he's seems to be fine with the fact that maybe they get some more of the headlines than he does. He's just, like you said, about winning, making the right play, um, sort of running the show offensively. But when they needed him at times, like a a few of the games that I watched, he delivered Mm -hmm. down the stretch of games, whether it's making a big-time play for someone else or driving in and, and creating for himself, hitting big shots. I think he's a really good defender. Like, I think he's got a lot of potential there to be pretty tenacious. I can't wait to see or hear about the battles between him and Sharif in oh, practice. So I imagine they were going to be guarding each other. That's the one thing about Nembhardt. I remember watching, this was back when Tai Ty, Ty Washington was part of the class in, in Arizona Compass where Tai uh, Tai played, matched up against Montford for, for a game. They matched up a couple times this year, but one one of the ones I watched, and Nembhardt guarded... Ty Ty and now Ty Ty got some shots off on him, you know, sure. and, and hit some tough ones, but like, you kind of like that idea of. Yeah. Like hey, I got it, Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take that guy. I'm going to, I'm going to try my best to go at him. And so um, I think Sharif obviously has a lot of that. And and I think those two guys are going to quickly sort of, as you w- would want from point guards, they're going to kind of take the, the reins and, and lead the way for this team over the off season and set the tone with their, tenacity and their just willingness to work so right. yeah i like i nimhard was the guy when creighton secured his commitment over the last summer that i, I mean I was like he's perfect for what they do yes They're really good in the open floor likes to, he's quick likes to push tempo and uh and is a is a winner and he didn't necessarily have the accolades from a recruiting standpoint you know from the rankings and all that initially but i thought his was big and then as montford went through the season and more people got eyes on him because he didn't play aau ball because he's in canada with the pandemic happening once people got more eyes on him then his recruiting rankings rose but um i i, I look at him I, I also am kind of just a sucker for point guards anyway I yeah think. me too so i'm drawn I'm to them like they i'm in their hands more yeah. time to nod and we know what crazy offense is right it's got an elite point guard running the show so I'm like, I want to see what Ryan Nemart can do and how he grows during his uh, career.
0: Yeah, it, and the one thing I like, you almost want to tell Nemhart is like, "Hey, man, listen, the guy who's going to be guarding you every day in practice, you won't see a better on-ball defender any game. Like, so just don't get discouraged when this dude's speeding you up, taking your cookies. Like, this is all like, this is going to help you, but like, this dude can really guard. Talk about Sharif, obviously. Like, yeah, this guy, right. this guy is, uh, this is what he does. You know, <laughs> I, I'm also curious, like. You know, the Christopheles kid, you know, he he's the lowest ranked, you know, of all the recruits in this class. But like, there are some national recruiting analysts that say this is the best shooter in the 2021 class. And, you know, I think he's going to fit and I don't think he's a Mitch Ballack level type of a shooter. I mean, you're talking about an elite, elite level shooter, but I think he's going to be He's a really, really good shooter that this offense needs that. And what's interesting about him is I'm not sure how much film you've seen of him. He shoots a legitimate jump shot. Like it's, it's an interesting, it's a, it's, it's interesting mechanically. It's a, it's, it's not as silky smooth of a jumper, you know, like Doug and Ethan's were just like, almost take your breath away. Like his is more like jump, get to the apex of it. And then shoot almost like a Jamal Crawford type of Mm. a a looking shot. Uh, But man, it goes in and, you uh you want to you want to run a style that that is you know you got to require space guys to stay attached to shooters and knock down threes like you need a guy like that.
1: One of the things that it's interesting you, you mentioned that about his, his shooting mechanics just a little bit different um, and maybe that allowed maybe that allows him to make some of these contested shots that I see cuz he just makes a ton of contested shots. Agree. Um, at least what I've seen on um, you know his highlights. Low
0: yeah, game it's not like wide game. open three, wide open three, wide open three. Like it's <laughs> like one dribble, pull up, step back. Like it, yeah, he he he's not. It's not all just you know he's got all day to line it up and no one's near him for a three.
1: Right, right. And so like they're they're tough shots. And that 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 was what jumped out at me when I watched some of this stuff is because well that'll translate because obviously sure you'll get a few looks maybe early in your career but eventually once the book is out that this guy is an elite shooter or a good shooter it's like you're not going to get any easy looks so um yeah with Chrysophilus, the one thing to note about him is that he initially when he was like a freshman sophomore in high school he like exploded on the recruiting scene like he was a top tier recruit you know a potential national guy um that would be recruited by not just PAC 12 teams, but across the country. And then he suffered an injury. I think it was a foot injury or a toe yeah. injury. Yep. And he was out for like 10 months, like right in that prime stretch of development when guys can make a big leap. And so he wasn't able to play and his rankings, quote unquote, you know, whatever that means suffered because of it. Um, so I am curious just from a development standpoint, like, where he is on his, on that, sure. on that track, you know, cause some guys peak at, where, where, do, where does, where, where will he peak? Is he still got more, everyone has more room to grow, but he might actually have more room than people think. Right. Uh, because he missed out on so much time, which is uh, usually that stretch is really valuable for guys. So um, I'm, I, I think, I think he's a better athlete than people think as well. So um, he's another intriguing dude, for sure.
0: Well, and then, so the other guys in the class then are, you know, the two transfers you got, you know, Keyshawn Fizzell from McNeese State who came with Jalen Courtney Williams was, you know, had recruited him and, and, you know, six, eight big, strong guy. Let's start. I want to start with him. Like he, uh, I, I think he is really necessary because, you know, without him on the roster, they're young, they're thin, they're not very physical. And I think he provides some maturity. He provides some strength. He provides a bigger body. Like you know, how it is like you get you get into the nitty gritty of the Big East, and you're taking on Xavier. Like you need a big dude that can bang. Like Keyshawn could could provide that role. Uh, so I think he, you know, I'm not sure exactly what his role looks like, other than that. Like, but I, I think he's kind of a, he fills something that I think they needed.
1: Not only in games, but in practice. Yeah, like Ryan Haukburner is going to benefit benefit a ton from having a guy like Keyshawn Fizel to go at one on one in games, and obviously Ryan, we saw flashes of what he can be as a freshman last year, and I think he's in store to take a really big jump this next season at the five position. But if you don't have that, like he's going to have a veteran who's played a ton, who's been part of a power five program before, um, who knows all the tricks, you know, and, right. and like you said, has that size and strength that Ryan Kaufman is gonna see on a daily basis in, in league play. So like I don't want to minimize the the impact of Keyshawn because I do think that he's gonna help uh the team on the court in games. But I'm also just like, dang man, a guy like Ryan Kaufburner because I, I always go back to Justin Patton and the stories that Justin Patton used to tell about getting worked by Jeffrey Grozel with right. during his redshirt year. Right. And where would Justin Patton have been if he didn't have those valuable minutes in practice without, you know, where he was having to figure things out against like basically a grown man and right. Chef Grosell, you know, every day. And, and now, um, you know, Keyshawn's going to be able to provide that. For, for Colt Brenner, who is, you know, obviously going to be a feature guy for Clayton's offense and, and defensively, too. So I think that's where I think that that matters. And I'm intrigued about his role. Yeah. I mean, like, he looks like he could maybe even be a five-out guy where he handles it I was a told
0: bit. he's more skilled than you think. Yeah. I, I was told that. I was told that he's not like, don't think he's Charles Oakley or something like that. Like, he's just going to come here and four hard fouls, four rebounds, and go drink a Gatorade. Like, he's got a little more skill than you think.
1: Yeah, so maybe uh, you know a version of Christian Bishop in a way. Like Christian was really good at that, and and I don't want to compare anybody to him because of
0: no. But that that uh, part of the offense, you know, right? Exactly. So you want to have
1: that guy, and maybe he
0: steps into it. Right, John. I am. uh, I get it's Division Two, but Ryan Hawkins is intriguing because I don't care that it's Division Two. If you have a career record of one hundred and twenty-four and seven, and you won. What, two or three national championships. In the national championship game, you had like thirty-one and thirteen or whatever it was. He no, was nineteen, I think. Thirty-one I was, and nineteen. Like think- <laughs> so he is the man on a team that won 124 games, only lost seven, won a couple of national championships. Like they need a veteran guy that's been through some of those wars, albeit it's division two, but nevertheless, experience is experience. And you look at his, you look at his skills, and it's like I, I don't want to like he's not Doug, he's not, but like some of the stuff he does is like in that Doug mold of like inside out can shoot it, crafty six seven, you could put him in a small ball five if you wanted. He, he's probably more of a four. Like I, I think he's gonna play. I think he's gonna be a really important guy too. I was, I, th- I guess, the
1: biggest question I have is do those interior moves where he's shown a lot of creativity and crap. Like Doug was so good at angles right, and knowing how to like work his way to the rim and finish in different ways that, you know, defender wasn't expecting like, and he has some of that. So, but can he translate it into such a short amount of time to the highest level of college basketball that I'm curious about that, but you know, I, I think he's actually more athletic than you would think you know right. for a D, you're like oh d2 guy d2 big you know like what could he do like the numbers say that he's a pretty good defender he won a couple mm-hmm. defensive player of the year awards at that level um and he's a good shooter like 46 percent i
0: yeah on a lot of you, attempts You'll take that as a yes, four already
1: right, right. And, and you couple that with what you mentioned the experience the winning sort of culture that he was a part of and the example that he's gonna set. But I, yeah, like how versatile of a scorer can he be in the Big East? I don't know that, but um, there's really a there's a possibility that he could make a significant impact there.
0: And but you're uh, right, like do those? Can he finish over Jermaine Samuels? Can he finish mm -hmm. over? You know, like it's different. It's 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 different. But like oddly enough, like when you think about Hankins from Xavier, you think about Struess from DePaul, like. We've yep. actually seen more guys make that D two to D one leap than you think. It's a huge leap, but I just think this guy has the skills and when he's deployed in the space and the X's and O's that Greg McDermott can put forth for him, like I'm I'm very like when when I eventually get to go watch a practice, the number one guy I want to see first is him. I just want to see yeah. if it like what it looks like.
1: Well, and the one thing to note about D two is, you know, the top end of D two definitely bleeds into the bottom end of D one.
0: Oh, absolutely!
1: So, you know, the worst teams in D one would not win a D two championship. Right. Um, so, and and it is always tough to know exactly how D two guys will translate, and some of it might just be specific to the guy. But yeah, you've mentioned there's some success stories in this league uh, alone, but across college basketball for sure. And so, um, he can do it, and and like he's been, I mean. He was like a five or six-sport athlete in high school. I mean, just played everything, you know, just like he's got sort of that yeah. uh, legendary status back home in, in, what is he from, Atlantic, Iowa, just about an hour away down the I-80. So uh, he's a good athlete. I think I think that'll translate. It's just a matter of all the other skills that, that he used to torture some of those guys at, at D2. Will that, will that work at, at the biggest level? I rem- some of
0: it might. Some of it might. I remember... Uh, This would have been way back. Obviously, when I tell the story, you'll know how far this was back. Right when the kind of the Metro All-Star Summer League thing started to happen in the Omaha area with a lot of the Creighton players and the Nebraska players and the former pro players. I was uh, heading into, I think, my senior year. Kyle Korver was on my team. Kyle would come back and he'd only played a couple of games, but Kyle was on my team. And... At this time, so this would have been like two thousand six, two thousand seven in that area. Mm. I want to say South Dakota or South Dakota State. One of those, two, one of those schools that I thought was Division two at the time. They brought their entire team. Okay, now there is an, an inherent advantage when t- I mean they're running like sets and they have like <laughs> defensive principles yeah. and all that shit, you know. Like, but this is a D two team, and we had to battle. Me and Kyle, like basically, it hit a point in the game where we were like, Kyle, you have to win this game for us and Kyle ended up showing everybody, like, oh, this is an NBA player. Like, it was actually a, a moment where I was like, oh, you want to poo-poo? Like, all he can do is shoot. It's like, no, not really. Like, he can do a lot more than just shoot a three. But, like, I bring that up to be like, Kyle Korver, NBA guy, me, I was a starter on a, you know, a mid-major team. Like, we had to, we had to battle, battle to beat this Division II team. And, like, I've always kind of felt like man, there's some D2 guys that are ever bit as good as some of these D1 guys just for whatever reason they, they fall through the cracks and they end up there and and maybe Hawkins is one of those dudes.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he's kind of of that mentality where, like, I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder that he wants to prove that he can do it. Um, I think while he enjoyed his time at D2 and he's a legend, you know, on his campus – um. There's prob- there's a part of him I think I got to say I got to talk with him for maybe ten or fifteen minutes. You know when when he committed, like I think there's a part of him that's really looking forward to this challenge and get an opportunity to maybe maybe you know represent for the D2 world a little bit. Sure, and show that some of those guys can play. So yeah, what we'll see. I I guess with with Hawkins because of what he's accomplished, um. I'm actually, I'm kind of. I, I want to see like what he's like from a mentality standpoint, from a psyche standpoint. Like, right. is he a dude that like uh, doesn't take crap from anybody, um,
0: or is it, he going to be it, wide-eyed? Is he going to be yes, like, oh right. boy, you know?
1: Or is he just going to, you know, kind of just be part of it, you know, just kind of go with the flow, right? Like, I want. I'm kind of curious to see where that. I don't know if it matters.
0: Uh, it does. Your mentality matters. It does yeah. a little bit though. Like, I have a hard time feeling like. I have a hard time feeling like a guy – again, it's a Division Two level. Like, a guy that had that kind of a record, 124-7 seven, seven career record, won multiple national championships, and was the guy every night that the other team said, we have to stop this guy, and he still kicked everyone's ass. I have a hard time yeah. feeling like he's going to walk onto the floor and be timid and – you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying he's going to walk onto the court like Marcus Foster and be like, I'm going to bust everyone's ass. You know what I mean? Like, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I – Usually basketball. It's one of my favorite things about basketball. It's like to be the guy. Kind of there's a non-negotiable level of alphaness that you got to have. That I, I just can't imagine he doesn't have some of that.
1: Right, and I, I actually it would be helpful I think for this team to have that piece because they'll be looking. You'll have freshmen who are going to go through tough days and have moments when they're discouraged, and you're going to need someone to be a tone center. And to say, you know, hey, hey we're not going to go through the motions with this today. You know, we gotta, right. we got to right. work to get better. Um, they had like six guys doing that last year. Right. Right. <laughs> like They could share the burden of leadership.
0: No question. Uh, That's a good point.
1: And now it's like, who's going to take, I mean, you know, Sharice going to be that guy. And it's possible that one or two of the freshmen might. But Much. I do think that there might be sort of, uh, you know, an importance for a guy like Ryan Hawkins who – has so much experience and has a track record of winning success. Like they could help. It would it, be helpful if he were vocal and i um, able to take guys under his wing and, and,
0: and lead them. Do you, uh, what, what actually, from what you know, what happened with Al Hus? Like he was close to leaving. He was being courted by some power conference schools. I think Illinois was after him. Like, I mean, certainly a, a very, very. I think he's one of the most. He's kind of one. Of, you know, we talk about unsung heroes. We always talked about Paul Lusk, and deservedly so. Like Al Huss has been a beast of a recruiter and an assistant coach for Greg McDermott. And you know, I mean, sometimes it's pretty telling when other, you know, a, a, these other Big Ten schools are trying to pluck you away. But like, sounds like he would. He was considering it, maybe leaving. He was definitely considering it. Um, I, it's it's
1: a it's a little bit. It's tough because some of this stuff is, is probably not for public consumption. And sure, it's why I haven't like written an in depth piece or story about the uh, I don't know the the, the, the news of, of him. Us, yeah, I you know, know like, I know. It's right. I don't even uh, want to
0: ask about. I was like, do I even ask? Cause I don't. I don't even want to like. I didn't want to pry and even ask some of my connections of like, hey, what happened with this?
1: Because it's a, it's personal, man. It's a, it's a job, right. and, and there's a lot of things that go. Into, into it, yeah. whether it's your family or where you're living, and the the, the relationships, and the, and what you want to be as as a coach as you're building, up uh, uh, professionally. But, um, yeah, no, there there were suitors, interested parties who were looking to hire Hus in Illinois was one of them. Yeah, that's and so. It's a one seed um, that won the Big Ten,
0: like yeah, like that was, that Illinois
1: was, won the Big Ten and, yeah. and had some. I think Illinois lost all three of his assistants over the off season. Like two went to Kentucky, one went to Gonzaga. So, like, right, good program. They got a lot of resources, a ton of tradition, and and Coach Hus is from Illinois. Like, he's got like, a lot of family ties to that area. His parents live there. Like, when he when Coach Hus his playing career ended at Creighton, his first job out of college, he worked for his grandfather's company in Decatur, Illinois, which is like basically lionite country. Like, yeah. It's right there in, next to Champaign. And so he's got a ton of family there. So it was like kind of like, it was a little bit of a tug of pull there from an emotional standpoint for him, I think because you got family on one hand and then you got your Creighton family on the other hand. And like, what? where do you want to go? And so ultimately he decided to stay at Creighton and, and the Jays are fortunate because not only did, does he make an impact on the recruiting trail, we've seen that, um, he's, he was the lead recruiter on probably at least half the guys on the roster at the moment. Yeah. Um, I'd have to count it all up to, I think at one point during the offseason, I wrote 7 of 10. So yeah. um, he, he's critical there, but I think he's made an impact offensively. I do too. Um, because he's, he's kind of been Greg McDermott's right-hand man there. But some of the things that the Jays have done, um, you know, different schematic twists and, and alterations that they've implemented – Like Coach Huss has been a part of that. He's pretty analytics-driven guy. Like he studies it and studies the game. Like I think he's grown there. And uh, and also from a relationship standpoint, I feel like he's just he's really comfortable here um, with this with this team with with these guys. And uh, and he's I mean he helped the team. He was named the interim coach when Greg McDermott was suspended for four days in March. You know, like he helped the team. He helped navigate the team through a. A difficult situation he's really respected by the players so important that the jays got him to to stay and and that he decided to stay and um yeah that was one of those stories in the office it was just a little bit it was, it's it's tough because a lot of that um as a reporter i want yeah, to know it right, <laughs> I, right. I think it's a, i think fans are interested in it. i think it's an important story but then again You do have to be respectful. Totally, totally. As a coach, yeah, right. Who is a person and a human, and it's got to make a lot of tough. And he didn't go. He didn't
0: (laughs) take the job either. So it's like, well, okay. So it was a. There was a report, a rumor. that maybe had some legs. That also, you know, yeah, I totally understand. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at White Castle Roofing. And I've owned two homes in my life: one in Omaha, and now one in Lincoln. And both times. When I had some damage to my roof, White Castle Roofing was who I trusted with the job. I had some hail damage to my roof in Omaha, White Castle, took care of that and did a great job. And then I had a leak with my skylight in Lincoln. My guy Ben from White Castle was able to come over take a look at things, get the pieces needed to fix it, communicated every step, and boom, the crew was over and knocked it out quickly. Done and done. The crew was amazing, man. They're fast, they're efficient, they were awesome, cleanup was a top priority, and most importantly, they did a fantastic job. You can't trust just anyone with your roof. And trust me, you can trust White Castle Roofing. Check them out online whitecastleroofing.com that's whitecastleroofing.com White Castle Roofing, built with trust proven by time from my understanding I think it was it was Huss's idea to implement Christian Bishop's five out stuff yeah, yeah. you know like that's, and that kind of that to me that kind of unlocked and you could you could say like a lot of Christian success and the team success hinged on that in in
1: 2020 and then into 2021 yeah 20,
0: yeah, the and, and chase. Yep, the hit and chase. That's all Huss. you know. Like that was all his idea, and you know, I think uh, any anything's jump out at you. A couple more things. We'll let you run here. Anything jump out at you with the other two assistants, Jalen Courtney Williams, Ryan Miller? It sounds like I, it sounds like Ryan Miller is is super connected, recruiting wise as well. And then you know, I Jalen Courtney Williams. It's, it's like I mean, the guy's twenty eight years old. Like it's it's uh, it's it's pretty amazing his rise in the recruiting or in the coaching world. But I, I get the sense that you could you could I don't think it's it's too bold of a comment to say this is arguably the best recruiting trio of assistants Creighton's ever had.
1: Yeah, you might be right on that because,
0: well, maybe the D Rock names- Preston Murphy group was pretty good, but like yeah. but this group's pretty good. Okay, I,
1: I got a comment on both of the new hires, Jalen Cor- Courtney Williams. I think now I have to go back and check it. Because there have been some new hires in the conference. But I think he's the youngest assistant coach in the Big East. Wouldn't surprise Um, me. So that's like, hmm. You know, okay, Creighton's going to bring him on. But being around that program, Nick, like, I I do feel like youthful energy and that ability to relate to guys. Like, I remember talking to – I mean, name the guy. And I've had a conversation with a player who's talked about connecting with – John McHugh yeah. or yeah. Ty Nurse, you know, right. some of the younger people who are involved with the program, like, yeah, a you know, with the longer you've been in, you, you have more experience and you know sort of how to play the game. And, and uh, maybe there's things from a tactical standpoint that you're just more familiar with, but there's also like that relatability thing. And for adding some new life and energy into the program, I think that can matter a ton and making guys feel comfortable, um, uh, within the program and, and just have like a, a guy that you can connect with a little bit more. And I, so I think that that's where his value is going to be, at least initially. Um, and then Ryan Miller, man, I, the thing, he's, he's worked at Auburn before this is pre Bruce Pearl for Auburn, you know? So yeah. uh, not the easiest place to recruit to Auburn, N- New Mexico, which has a ton of history and tradition, but it, it is in New Mexico. Yeah um UNLV again a lot of history but it's not a power five school and it's it's in Vegas but you've got close access to players but it's a little bit different place to recruit to and then TCU which when they took over it was like winless and you know at the bottom of the big 12 so he's just he's had so many different experiences in in his coaching career of, of, of places that are just different to try to sell the guys and make pitches to and bring them on campus and Hey, this is what we want to do, and he's had success. Yes. So you, you, all, you couple all that experiences, all the experiences he's gained over the course of his career, and now now he's at a place like Creighton, which is sort of peaking uh, from a program success standpoint um, across its whole history. Like it's 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 as good as it's ever been. And uh, I, I mean, obviously the proof's in the pudding already. They've they've gotten some really good absolutely. Um, since he's been on, on staff. So, uh, yeah, they, they were both obviously important hires and eager to get to know them a little bit more and see what how how they impact the program. But uh, those are the two things that stood out to me about those
0: two. I, I forgot to ask you about Antoine Jones. It came out, I think, yesterday that he is he has announced that he is transferring. I, I, I was a little surprised, but then I, the more I thought about it, I kind of wasn't like, for whatever reason, and this is kind of the – how it goes sometimes for whatever reason, it just never really clicked for him. It, at, I know and it's so
1: weird Nick, yeah. man, because I remember it will always be, forever be ingrained in my head. This practice, it was a, it was a team scrimmage. So it was like the starters against the reserves and Antoine Jones was giving it to Creighton starters. Like right. this was, so this was like his red shirt here, uh, preseason training camp. And like, when I say given like, Damian Jefferson couldn't guard him. Denzel Mahoney couldn't guard him. Like, nobody could guard this dude. He was, like, every time down, getting into the paint, drawing fouls, hitting three-pointers. I mean, it was – I was looking at that. I was like, man, this he is going to be a great piece for this team. I thought the same um, thing. He never really got that consistent playing time to maybe show that. And, and it's understandable, right. granted, because of what Crane had, the veterans they had, how – how uh, well connected that group was. And it's a little bit tough maybe to find your flow in a game when you're coming in off the bench, you know, they play for two or three minutes and you got to sit for like 10 minutes. Really hard. Um, so that's probably part of it. But I, I do feel like Creighton fans never got the true Antoine Jones experience. And I, for that, I'm, I feel bad for them and him because yeah, he's he was a really fun player to watch, especially when he got hot and got going. And we saw a little glimpse of that against Xavier, where he started talking a little bit and right. he was having fun and engaging with the fans. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but like you said, he, he never like, I know Creighton plays positionless basketball essentially, but it didn't feel like his game just never quite that, that, that round peg in a square hole yeah. or whatever the analogy is like, it just never quite fit uh, this past season. And maybe they could have found a way to make it work, but he's going to go and, and find a new place to land. So best of luck to him. But yeah, he was one of my favorite players in cover, man, because of just like his personality was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it's just, unfortunately, like when you watch him, the ball stuck in his hands a little bit. Like it did, yeah. it, it stuck in his hands a little bit. And then I noticed early on, and this happens for coaches, and it, it just, he, he got into that world where he got into the Devin Brooks, Ronnie Harrell area with Greg McDermott, where like he just, For whatever reason, Coach McDermott never fully trusted those guys, even though they were talented. I mean, Devin Brooks, a lot of talent. Ronnie, I always loved Ronnie. I thought Ronnie had a lot of game. But for some reason, like, there are certain coaches that, like, with certain players that they just, like, they can't fully let you play through mistakes. They don't fully trust you in a big spot. And I think for whatever reason – Antoine found himself in that place in Greg McDermott's head, and when you get in that spot with a coach, it's hard to get out of.
1: And especially without a non-conference. Yes. To kind of like prove yourself in maybe moments that aren't as critical or um, to work through some things as a player of like, okay, well, coach is on me to not make this mistake, but I got to work it out of my game, you know, so I got to get, get some reps in trying to become a little bit different and become the player that, that coach wants me to be is like, he didn't get those opportunities. Creighton basically after week one was in win now mode. Right. Cannot no, it's a great point.
0: You know? Yeah. Like the, no, so, the, the the COVID no non-con killed a guy like Antoine.
1: Yeah. He just couldn't, he never could settle in. And, um, and so I, you know, I, I, like, I think he, he, he ended up like, you had like the second best assist rate on the team. Right. Like he, he he could, when he saw a guy, he was really creative with uh, his wake-up finding the guys and getting the ball to him. Maybe the turnovers increased a little bit as the season went on. Um, but you saw flashes, and it's just trying to become consistent with it. That was a tough part for him. And I, I thought this year maybe he'd get that opportunity, but um, he's decided to go. So,
0: I mean uh, – no. The, the last thing I was going to ask you was, and I don't even, I feel like I want to abort this question because it's like expectations for next year. It's like, I don't even know. I mean, like, I feel like I want to, I want to cop out and be like, can I see a couple of games and then kind of answer that question? Because it's, I think you wrote it in your, in your write-up with, with Trey Alexander's signing of what seven of the 13 scholarship players are going to be freshmen. And yeah, so there's su-
1: like right, a who's, sophomore,
0: but he's kind of a freshman. Right. So they're super talented, but they're super young. And what that all I mean, th- they got to gel. They got to come together. They got to grow up. They got to mature like what all that looks like in terms of pegging an expectation. I, I don't I don't know. I, like, are you ready to be like, they? oh, I think the expectation is this. Or are you going to cop out with me and be like, eh, let me see a couple of practices in a couple of games? that's kind of how
1: I feel like I've seen so th- th- there's a ceiling I think for teams that are this young yes in college basketball like you, you're probably not going to win a conference championship now I I again they could prove me wrong I right. when I was in college um I went to Purdue and this group of I think pretty at the time had four freshmen. It was a real – Robbie Hummel was part of the class. Right. And that, that group went all the way to the end of the season battling, I think it was Michigan State for a Big Ten title, maybe Wisconsin. Like, it was – they they showed up in big-time games, big-time atmospheres, and played extremely well. And, you know, proved a lot of people wrong. But it's hard, especially in the Big East, which is so veteran-laden. You know, it's been a developmental league since it recalibrated and reformed like a lot of teams have maybe gotten some guys who are a little bit under the radar and worked with them. And by the time they're juniors and seniors, they've been stars that's kind of been the blueprint for not just Creighton, for everyone in the league and the experienced teams tend to be the most successful. So there's going to be, I, in my mind, I see just a little bit of a cap there, but I agree. um, It's, it, some groups, if they gel, you never know, and that's and that's kind of what I would imagine Creighton's hoping for. And and the one thing that I, I've, because I've, in my head, I'm like, okay, let's compare it to 2018, right? Yep. Like that group was really young, and they lost a lot of close games, and just there were the little things that they were maybe not quite sharp enough on that led them to ultimately finishing a just shy of the NCAA tournament in the NIT. Like I could see it playing out similarly, but. I remind myself, I think this team might be more talented just from a raw talent standpoint. At least that's what the recruiting rankings would sure. suggest. So maybe I'm not giving them enough credit. I don't know. I don't know how to set the expectations. I don't either. Like I don't think we've ever seen one, certainly not here at Creighton, but even across college basketball. I mean, like Kentucky and Duke have been crazy young before, but they've also had like five NBA draft picks that next year. You know, right. like <laughs> their lottery picks, who their freshmen were. They weren't guys who – um, as it's the case in this class, while they, while they are good, they do need some time to get seasoned and to add some some weight and you know just kind of get acclimated to college ball. So I don't know, man. It, it does feel like a team that's got NCAA tournament potential, but it, it feels also like maybe a wide ranging outcome type group where uh, it, it could go really good or it could go kind of poorly.
0: I'm not. I'm I'm certainly not just just tossing this year aside coming up. But I'm more so looking at this group and thinking about two years from now. And I do hope, and it's going to be challenging with the new transfer rules that guys can leave and be eligible right away. Listen, it's wide open, but there's going to be some talented guys that maybe aren't playing a lot just because, I mean, you can't play 12 guys, right? Like, yeah. Coach McDermott's going to settle into a seven, eight, nine man rotation, and that's what it's going to be. I do hope that they, if they can keep this group a good core of this these young guys together, I do think moving forward over the course of like the latter stages of next season that into year two, and maybe even into year three of these young core guys, like now I think we're talking about something, but that's, what's going to be, that's what's so damn challenging now about this new transfer rules is, is I think, you know, continuity is going to be even harder, but man, with this, with the talent on the roster, if they can stick together and gel and grow, I think, I think now you're, now it's, now you're really – you think about two years from now, you're like, uh-oh, look out.
1: Or even the end of the year. Right. You know, the one thing about that 2018 team – now they had a couple – like Balock and Alexander were sophomores. So they had a little bit more experience, obviously, than this group. But that – it was, what, it was 2018-19. That, that team got better at the end of the year. Like Martin Crumple. I guess they maybe don't have a Martin was amazing at the end of that season, right. you know, and they won five in a row and almost worked themselves. They beat Marquette on the road. You and could see it. The,
0: you could see it. You know, yeah.
1: You could see the growth and the improvement and all of the things that they'd spent all season talking about, with you know the defensive principles being in the right in the right spot and working together as a unit and uh, you know figuring things out offensively to make some big time plays down the stretch it all came together at the end and, and you never quite know when it's going to come together for a team like this, a young team like this, but it could be sooner than expected. So, you never know. You... But, it, there, but there will be growing pain. That, no that's question. It's important. And there's going to be some stretches of play where you're, as a fan, you're probably just like, oh my gosh, it's right. so frustrating. Right. Because it's like, they could be this, but they're not. And you just have to be patient with it. And so I'm, I'm eager to hear what coach McDermott has to say, probably mid season or maybe even preseason. Once he's got a chance to kind of work with them on the court a little bit of like, I think he's going to be really fired up because he's exciting, man. He, he, we had some great conversations in that, you know, 2018 season or 20, 2018, 19 season where he was talking about teaching. Right. I think he relives for that, man. We talked well, about it at the top of this conversation about yes, how right. good of a communicator he is. Like, I think he, loves that piece of being able to help guys grow and work with a, a group of guys to get them to improve and then all of a sudden on the back end you get to enjoy it. Um so I think he's gonna roll up his sleeves and have a lot of fun with these guys.
0: And and every practice is gonna be competitive as hell. Yeah. Cause every job every job's up for grabs. Right? Like I mean like literally one, th- I mean, you assume guys like Sharif, Alex O'Connell, and Kalkbrenner are going to kind of lead the way initially. And like, you'd be surprised if game one, though, th- the starting five doesn't feature those three guys, right? But you never know, dude. Like, I mean, and so I just, I see this as like a super, every practice, everybody's going to have to bring it. And that's going to be fun, too. So this this is gonna a, be, it's going to be great.
1: Another thing, too, that stands out about this team, too, Nick, is like, they're kind of long. You know, yeah. maybe aside from the point guard spot, but every other position, it's it's like the longest team that I feel like Creighton's ever had. Um, assuming you know you got Ryan Culper in the center spot, who's seven foot seven four wingspan, right? And then it's six eight, six nine, six seven, six eight, um, and Alex O'Connell's what six six, and if he's if he plays even some two guard, he's capable maybe of doing that. But you have a six five, Kashvili at the two potentially, or a six, four Trey Alexander, who looks like a pretty, has some length. I, that's intriguing to me too. Like, I don't know what that, how that impacts the play at all, but it's, 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 uh, I think it was a goal of the staff when they recognized, I mean, it's a trend across college basketball, across the sport, sport, NBA, yeah, too. Length, you know, like so, yeah want length matters, wingspan. Like you hear people talking about that all the time. It feels like ring's getting longer and, and finding guys that, uh, who are six, eight, six, nine? that can do a lot of things and not just be sort of plotters in the middle, right? right. Like they, they can move and dribble and make some jumpers. Like it's, it's a really sort of intriguing roster how they fit it all together. And, and I, like, I could imagine them having multiple different lineups and mi- mixing and matching based on an opponent. Um, so we'll see. It seems like they've got a lot of uh, uh, options
0: available with this group. So there you go. That was uh that was uh when someone said, Hey, what's new? There we go. Hour and fifteen minutes later, that's what's new over the last two or three months of Creating Basketball. I think we I I think we covered it all there pretty much, right? Yeah.
1: I mean we could I honestly I I really appreciate you being willing to have me on your podcast. I love hearing your perspective and talking hoops with you. you absolutely right, you, honestly, you. You know the game. You played it, right? So I, I, I always appreciate your perspective. Like I could go down the line on each guy and pick your brain about uh, his strengths
0: and weaknesses for hours. I so, know yeah, that's probably that we, we, we could go a one, whole nother 15. hour. Like yeah. we could easily go. Yeah. Cause we didn't even get into some of the returners and what they, the steps need, they, they need to take. But like, right. I guess, I guess we can, we'll catch up later in the summer and we'll, we'll, we'll dive back into that stuff. And by then who knows what other news will kind of have accumulated by at, at that point. That's yeah. the,
1: I tell people this all the time, man. Uh, I I wrote, play like i talked to a new commit during the college world series it's gone that late right you know where in terms of rosters still in flux and i feel like this year is different than any other because the transfer portal just has more people in in it and there's been more coaching changes maybe than i don't know what the number is but it's feeling there's been a lot of upheaval the coaching carousel spun maybe more than it has in recent years and so um it it may not be over. Right?
0: Yeah, seriously, John, it might not be. Like uh, we might have an. We might be having another. Co- might, you might have be writing a story about another roster acquisition here in the next couple of weeks. Who knows? Like exactly. Who who knows? So we'll. Uh, I guess we'll save a little meat on the bone for for another time. But hey, you you know I, you know I think the world. Of you appreciate your time. Appreciate your insight, and uh, we'll uh, we'll catch up soon, my man. All right. Have a good one. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, John.